Welcome to Faith Church. We are honored that you are here with us today. We think you picked an amazing day to come to church. Uh, We believe that you're here for a reason. And we believe that reason is Jesus Christ. And he's the one who we put our faith in. And so my name's Matthew. Uh, My wife Amber and I serve as the pastors here at Faith Church. And it's just a a real treat to have you. Uh, If we haven't had a chance to meet you personally, we'll be right at the welcome spot right after the service. Man, we'd love to just shake your hand, say hello. Find out uh, your name and just just be able to connect with you a little bit. We'll be out there right after service and would love to, to connect with you. Today we are beginning a brand new series entitled Perspective. Before weeks uh, of different messages and talks and our, our desire is to gain a new perspective. And because we gain a new perspective, we're believing that it's going to remove some of the limits that might be in existence in our life. We want to kind of remove those things from our lives. If you have your Bible, I want you to join me in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 will be there here in just a minute as we begin a, a message. And today I want to bring a message entitled, Developing the Leader Within You. Developing the Leader Within You. Now, this, uh, this series is going to be four different kind of conversations that we're going to have. And a lot of the big ideas that I'll be sharing with you not only come directly from Scripture, but are coming from different books that I've read just this year that have kind of brought a new dimension of perspective and understanding and have helped remove some of the limits of understanding in my own life and in our staff. And this book, uh, Developing the Leader Within You, is actually a book written by a man by the name of John Maxwell. And uh, he's a great author, authored many different books. It's a fantastic read, and I encourage you to, to go pick it up. We walked it through as a staff this year, kind of walking through the book and learning and growing and developing our own Leadership, And I want to share just a few insights with you today from God's Word, uh, but also some big ideas that kind of came and were sparked from his book as well. And, and uh, so uh, we're going we're gonna to jump right in this morning. I was a young teenager when I took my very first like gift assessment test. Anybody ever taken one of those? Uh, we we uh, give one out in our Catch the Vision class that we do every other month here at the church. Um, and it's really just designed to help you kind of discover kind of how you were hardwired by God, who who you are on the inside and how God made you. And it's a really great thing to do. And I remember it was really, really enlightening for me. I remember uh, scoring really high in characteristics like uh, prophecy, counseling, communication, and leadership. I remember scoring pretty well in those areas. Some of those might be a surprise to you, and some of those probably aren't a surprise to you who are part of our church. I remember scoring really, really low, like almost not even registering that they exist in my life at all, on things like mercy... Uh, helps, craftsmanship, uh, and giving. Like those were all like way down on my list. Like those aren't things that are inside me. Uh, That's not how God made me. But I remember that uh, as I was growing up, that my own insecurities skewed my perspective of those giftings. Because isn't it true that like our own insecurities kind of limit us oftentimes 
to reaching our full potential, that our own perspective of ourselves is often skewed in a way that keeps us from really moving forward, maybe keeps us from achieving our full potential, maybe limits us in our lives and our thoughts and in our dreams and where we just stop trying, we stop pursuing, maybe we stop uh, trying to improve. We just kind of let life happen to us rather than being intentional with the components of our lives. I think oftentimes we limit our, our, ourselves in a perspective, but we can also be limited by other people's perspective of us. Can't we? I think if we're honest, we can recognize that other people's perspective of us, our skill set, our giftings, maybe it's a somebody in authority who said something one time to us and it's always stuck with us. It kind of registered and rang in our heart and it kind of hurt. And we don't think that we have what it takes to do this or to do that. Maybe somebody said something, did something. Uh, we just got the sense that we tried something and we failed one time. Therefore, we are confident that we weren't made to do X, Y, or Z. Um, I think oftentimes other people's perspective of us can limit our own passion. And we fail to move progressively forward and we end up stalling out in our lives. One thing we once were passionate about, we are no longer passionate about. Why? Because if we're honest, somebody had a perspective of us that was limiting to us. Friends, you will go as far in life as you decide to have your perspective to be seen. The Bible says it like this. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Your perspective matters. God instructs us in his word to think thoughts like he thinks because his thoughts aren't like our thoughts. We, we did a series a, a couple years ago entitled Mindset Matters. How many of you here for our Mindset Matters series? Wave your hands like you don't care. Come on, it was good. Mindset matters. Why? Because your mindset, it matters. It's either going to expand your perspective and increase the limitations, your capacity, or your mindset will limit your life and your potential and your passion. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, oh, I don't, I don't know about these things. I don't, I don't know this or I don't know that. Let me, let me give you kind of one big thought today that we're going to hang everything off of today. Here's one big thought. God wants you to progress and develop. God wants you to progress and develop in every arena of your life. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9, check out, check out what the Apostle Paul says. He says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, how awesome you are in Fort Scott, Kansas, how amazing you are, you people at Faith Church, just how intelligent and smart and gifted and caring and compassionate and full of God, all you people at Faith Church, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God, check this out, we continually ask God to fill you. Come on. How many of you know it's important to be filled in life? It's important to stay filled up, to keep our joy full, to keep our optimism up, to keep our faith up, to keep the believing that God can and he will, to keep being filled up in the presence and the power and the fullness of the Holy to be filled up because God wants you to be fill you with the knowledge, the understanding, a perspective, insight, 
He wants to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives you. So that, here's why. Here's why you need to be filled up. Here's why you need to have all of the wisdom and understanding and perspective of the Holy Spirit in your life. Here's why you need to have a mindset that aligns with God's thoughts process. Here's why you need to have a perspective that is not limited to your own insecurities and inabilities, but rather to the perspective of God's ability at work in you. Here's why. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. That you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. He wants us, God wants us to be filled with knowledge, to have new perspectives and understandings and learn from different voices and explore and understand and grow in knowledge so that we can be filled with the spirit of wisdom of the spirit of the Lord in a way that allows us to live a life that is honoring to God, to live a life that bears fruit and is growing. You won't bear fruit if you're not developing. You're not going to grow if you're not developing. If your baby stops developing, you're concerned. If you have an infant, a toddler, and they all of a sudden stop growing, that's a red flag. Some of us as believers have stopped growing and that's a red flag. God wants you to continue developing, to continue growing. And let me tell you right now, friends, just because you are aging externally does not mean you are growing spiritually. Just because you've attended church for years doesn't mean that you're growing and bearing fruit. It doesn't automatically mean that you're growing in the knowledge of God. It doesn't mean that you're bearing fruit. And it doesn't mean that we're living a life that is worthy of God's. One of my deepest desires as a pastor, one of my goals, one of my aims, one of the things that is right at the top of my priority list is to help you grow and to develop, to reach your full, hear me, redemptive potential. I want to see you reach your full redemptive potential through Christ. I want you to grow and develop such a potential that it is worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made in our lives. You were designed for redemptive purposes, but so many of us live for selfish purposes instead. And those aren't always the same. Rarely are they the same. God wants us to grow in those things, we need to live a life worthy of Christ's sacrifices. Let me, let me say it another way. Living selfishly and living small-mindedly are an insult to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Living in a way that has no purpose that grows. Living in a way that doesn't have redemptive themes for your life in an essence is saying, I, I mean, really, is that, is that why Christ died? Did Christ live a perfect life, die on a cross, get buried so that you could have more things in life? Is that really, 
Is that really the point? Is, is it so that you can make yourself feel good and achieve some external achievements? Is that really why he died? Did, did he really die so that your kids would behave in public? So when you take pictures and you post them on Instagram, everybody thinks you've got the amazing family. Is that really why Christ died? I mean, did he really die so that you could say that you voted Democrat and they won? I mean, did he really die so that you could say you voted Republican and they won? Did that really, is that really why he died? And if we are living with that as our sole purpose, as our chief purpose, if we are living in a way that is small-minded, that doesn't believe that God can grow and develop and produce more in our lives and expand and use us in big ways and see his kingdom grow, if we're not living in those ways, we're living in a way that is almost as an insult to the very power and work that Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. We have to develop something in us because we don't naturally get there spiritually. We don't naturally get there in our own lives. Let me ask you, let me ask you in another way. Are you living a life that influences redemption in somebody else's life? Are you living your life in a way that is developing a sense of being redeemed in someone else's life? Maybe we should ask the question, are you living in a way that is allowing the redemption of Christ to grow in your own life? It's so important that we recognize that we are are designed and created with the capacity to develop some influence of redemption in somebody else's life. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says it like this. Hey, command and teach these things, Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Don't do it. But set an example. Everybody say set an example. Say it with me. Set an example. Set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Inside of you is this redemptive potential to live as an example. It's in you. I told you today that the title of the message is developing the leader within you. Let me define that word leader because I think it really shows up in this passage. Hey, Timothy, set an example. Be a leader. Be somebody that people can look at and learn from and grow from. Live in such a way that it helps redemptive purposes grow in somebody else. Leadership is influence that we've all been given the ability to have. Leadership is influence. If you break leadership down, and I say the word leader, and some of you are like, well, I'm not a leader. No, 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 I'm not. I, no, 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 no. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I don't want to be the boss. I don't want that headache. I don't need that mistake. Nope, no, no, no. Just, I, I'm not a leader. I don't have influence. I don't have charisma. I am not an outgoing person. No, 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 no. I am not a leader. The only problem is leader doesn't mean out front all the time. Leader in its truest form means that you have influence. You've been given influence. Did you know that statistics say that the most introverted person Like those of you that have like no desire to be external, like fact that you're sitting in this room right now makes your skin start to crawl. You're such an introvert. The fact that we said, turn around and give somebody a handshake. You're like, "Uh uh-uh, 
I'm putting my hands in my pocket. I'm sitting down acting like I got to tie my shoe or something. I ain't touching nobody. Like, like you're introverted, introverted. That the most introverted of us will influence and impact over 10,000 people in our lifetime. 10,000 people. You as an introvert will influence in some way. Think about it. Kids that you went to school with and played with on the playground, cashiers that you meet at the store, a coworker, a spouse, a neighbor, a classmate, the person you're sitting next to this morning, you're influencing them. That's a leadership capacity that God has given to you to set an example for redemptive purposes that God wants to develop in you. Listen, you can and need to develop your influence. You need to develop the influence that God has given to you. And I think that we need to focus on really three key areas that we need to develop if our influence is going to grow to such a degree that it's worthy of the life that Christ died for. Because that's the goal, right? To live a life that is worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's worthy of his sacrifice. That's worthy of what he gave. That's worthy of the message that he delivered into you. That's worthy of the things that he's put inside of you. You may not be the same as every person around you, but there's still good God-sized things on the inside of you that has to be developed. You have influence, and it needs to be developed. And I think there are three key areas that I want to hone in on this morning. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, you can kind of jot this down and maybe you're on the central hub and you've clicked on the sermon notes. It's right there. You can just add your own note and follow along as we go this morning. But number one is this, write this down. You need to, we need to develop the right priority. If we're going to develop the influence in our life in a way that's going to honor God, in a way that he looks at our lives and says, man, that is well worthy of the redemption that I paid for that person. They are living up to their redemptive potential. If we're going to be those people, we must begin to develop the right priority. Listen, we cannot have it all. I mean, I, I wish we could have it all, but we can't have it all. We are not good at making choices sometimes, especially when we have to make a choice as it relates to a priority when our emotions get involved. Let me give you a great case in point. I love to play fantasy football. And uh, no, this is not a good time to go ahead and check your lineups to make sure you're in. Preston, you're going to lose today. It doesn't really matter. I'm going to whoop you, boy. Uh, Get revenge for week number one. I'll tell you that right now in Jesus' name. I love to play fantasy football. It's a lot of fun for me. I am not really good at making choices sometimes in fantasy football because I am too emotionally involved in certain players and teams. Like I've been offered Patrick Mahomes. People have been trying to get Patrick Mahomes off my lineup all year and I won't do it because I like the boy. I like that he's winning. This is fun. There are certain players that I refuse to put on my team. Why? Because they play for the Saints. And I hate the New Orleans Saints and the Atlanta Falcons. I can't stand them. I'm a Carolina Panther fan. I've been living in Carolina for 13 years. I'm I'm like, come on, Cam Newton, let's go. Superman. And I get too emotionally involved in wanting to root or look at that I can't clearly make a good decision and prioritize the statistics because I like certain things. 
Y'all, in your life, we do the same thing, don't we? We have a hard time making the right priority because we get too emotionally attached and involved to making a decision. Our kids start throwing a fit, and we don't like feeling like we're a loser parent, so we give in, but it was really the wrong priority. We're not good at making decisions when it comes sometimes to facilitating priority. Even though it's best for the child, even though they really need to develop, even though we need to have healthy boundaries, we're not real good at making boundaries and telling other people no because we just don't want to disappoint other people. But the problem is we can't have it all and we can't do it all. And we have to begin to develop the right priority. Here's the deal. Too many priorities will paralyze you. Too many priorities will paralyze your progress to move forward. It will paralyze your development. But the wrong priorities will mislead you to the wrong thing. Having too many priorities will paralyze your process and progress. But having the wrong priorities will lead you in the wrong place. There's a poem by William H. Henson that says this. He who seeks one thing and but one may hope to achieve it before life is done. But he who seeks all things... Wherever he goes, must reap around him in whatever he sows, a harvest of barren regret. Jesus Christ said it like this. What does it really profit a person if he gains the whole entire world and forfeits his own soul? What's the point? The point is this. Not everything in your life needs equal time, needs equal energy, and needs equal resource. Not everything, not every relationship, not every hobby, not every quote-unquote priority in your life needs to be that priority. We have to develop the right priority. There's something called the Pareto principle, which is like an 80-20 rule that 80% of the results that move you forward in your life and your business come from 20% of your efforts. They would say things like 80% of income in a church comes from 20% of the people who give. That's kind of the law of the Pareto principle. They would say things like, if you look at your life, the things that are the most producing in your life actually only come from 20% of what you actually are doing. Which means 80% of what you're doing is producing very little to develop your personal skills in your life. But it's so hard to not prioritize the other 80% in our lives because that's a lot of stuff. But it's not actually helpful in producing some things in our lives. I want you to, 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 to notice something. I said we need to develop the right priority. I didn't say we needed to develop the right priorities. There's only one priority that you need to have in your life, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the priority you need to have. If he is not your main priority, if he is not the center to which everything in your life comes from a relationship with him, you are in the wrong priority and you will be underdeveloped in your spiritual life and you will be underdeveloped in your life as overall. You will be underdeveloped and not bear fruit in every arena of your life. If he is not the center of your life, 
then you've got the wrong priority. Your grandkids, your parenting, your job, everything you do, your finances, your relationships with your friends, the activities you do in the community, everything in your life, if it does not center and come from the one source, Jesus Christ, you have a priority problem. And if we don't develop the right priority, we will short-circuit our development. You will short-circuit your redemptive potential. You will short-circuit the potential that God has for you if you do not have the right priority. I think there are the main reason a lot of people never lead or want to consider themselves a leader and they don't think of actually developing their own influence, they don't actually develop themselves as a leader, is that they think that leadership is a position that you're given, but it's not. Which leads me to the second thing today that I think we need to develop. Leadership, it's not a position. No, instead of trying to develop and achieve a position, here's the second thing. I think we need to develop a humble posture. I think leadership is more of a posture than it is a position of authority and control. Matthew 20, verse 26 says, Jesus was telling his disciples, hey, not so with you. No, no, no. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, must first be your servant. I want you to notice something. Jesus didn't tell them, don't try and become great. Think about it. He didn't say, "Don't, don't, don't try and become great. That's the wrong motive. It's not what he said. He said, if you want to become great, the key is becoming a servant. There's sometimes in the body of Christ, we make people feel bad if they are successful. That's wrong. That's not the way of Jesus. We make people feel bad if they're trying to achieve something great, if they're aspiring to build a good business, if they want to have a great this, or God wants you to have a great family. God wants you to have a great marriage. God wants you to be a great parent or a grandparent. God wants you to be a great mom, dad. God wants you to be a great with your finances. He wants you to build a great business. He wants you to develop great relationships. God is not uh, worried about you becoming great. He wants to develop good things in you. It's a sign of his goodness at work in you. But he says, don't try and strive towards a position of authority so you can tell other people what to do. Instead, assume a posture of humility. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Leadership is a posture first and a position second. There are many people that you will run into in your life who are in a position of leadership but they have no influence in your life. They're bad people to follow. And you can't wait for them to not have that job anymore. Because they think that leadership is a position. It's not. And sometimes we think that we have to have a position in order to influence change in something. You don't. You just need to have a humble posture. And you can begin to influence change, influence positivity, influence goodness, influence your business, influence your work environment, influence your family. You may not be the chief decision maker, but if you will stay humble and take the right posture, 
you will find influence growing in your life. People may repeat what you say, but they will replicate who you are. It's in your DNA. You can't, you can't help it. If you, if you try and wait for a position of leadership, you will never reach your full potential as an influencer. Because some of us won't really ever find that position. That's not really, that positional thing isn't really what we're after. But we all have influence. We all have a redemptive purpose. We all have somebody that we can help along in the journey. We all have something that we can do and grow and help other people in. It matters. And when we choose to develop our humble hearts, when we choose to develop a humble posture, it grows and it strengthens our character. Serving develops your character. When you're on the job, be a servant. When you're in your house, be a servant. When you come to the church, be a servant. When you're shopping at Walmart, be a servant. When you're driving down the road, take the posture of a servant. Your posture of a humble servant will develop a character that will honor God. They say, Pastor Wayne Cordero from Hawaii says it like this, that the true test of a servant's heart is how you respond when you're treated like a servant. In the church world, we talk about, you need to have a servant's heart. Be servant-hearted. And it's true. We want to develop a servant's heart because that's how Jesus lived. We read it in Matthew 10. He said it. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom. That's the whole message. That's what Jesus came to do. The posture that Jesus took was that of a servant. He could have come demanding a lot of things because he was perfect. He knew it, but he didn't. He laid down his rights and chose to serve humanity. He chose this posture of being a servant. And I think in church, we talk about have a servant's heart, have a servant's heart. But then the minute somebody tells us, hey, we want to have you a servant's heart. We're so glad you're serving on the team. We want you to show up on time. You're like, I'm not showing up on time. I got too many other things going on. And then when they confront you and say, hey, you were late. We really missed it. We Parents are trying to check in. Things are happening here. And we, and, and, and we try and help raise a standard of excellence. All of a sudden, we're like, I, I, that's fine. And you don't even think, because your posture isn't really of a servant's heart. Your position might say that you are a servant, but is your heart in a posture that says you're a servant? Let's take it to the family unit for a minute, shall we? We say we want to serve, but then the minute somebody says something or does something and all of a sudden they weren't nice about how they said it. They said it with an attitude. I know that doesn't happen in your house. Let's just pretend sometimes things get said with an attitude in your house. What's your response? What's your response? One of the jobs that I had as a high schooler uh, was to clean what they called the victory zone. I worked for our church, Victory, and the school. And there's a huge gym where they built and brought in this playground equipment, indoor playground equipment, tunnels and slides and ball pits and nets. And it was like a kid's dream. It was awesome and fun. But somebody had to clean that. That was me. 
Do you know what smelly, sweaty socks smells like after five hours? Does anybody want to know? It ain't a pretty thing. And I'd been doing this for a little while and it was part of my job and I knew it. And it's just, I, hey, this is what I do. Fine, I'll do it. And then one day, somebody, uh, something had happened and it left quite a unsanitary mess all through the victory zone, all of the tunnels and, you know, the little cracks where it all connects together. And it was a pretty unsanitary, nasty, not healthy for anybody mess. I'm a pretty persuasive person. I've always been a little bit persuasive. Some might call it manipulation, but I, I, I choose to per- see it as persuasion. And even as a high schooler, my boss came and said, hey, I need you to go clean it. Here's what happened. I'm like, uh-uh, you can find somebody else to clean that mess up. That ain't, no, 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 no. I said, no, you're going to do it. And the Lord just, I remember, the Lord says, you're here to serve, serve. So I turned on some worship music and I got on my hands and knees and I put on three gloves and two masks and knee pads and I got all of our disinfectant and it took me hours to clean every slide and crack. But you know what? It started to develop a character inside of me. Some of us short circuit God's development in us just because we don't like somebody. We don't like their attitude. We don't like this. But you, don't, you, you have to understand God is trying to develop a posture of humility in your life. Some of you have huge dreams, but your character can't sustain your dreams. God needs to develop your character. He's more interested in developing your character than he is developing your skills. Your skills may help you obtain a position of leadership, but it will be your character that you need in order to sustain that place of influence. Your character matters. Honesty, integrity, doing something, even though nobody will ever find out about it. Character, character. Develop a humble posture. Develop character. Develop the character. God wants to make sure you are going to live it before he gives you the opportunity to lead it. That's why it matters how you act in your dating relationships. He wants you to live in a God-honoring way so that when you actually get married, you continue to lead and live in a God-honoring way. It matters. It matters. It matters. God is trying to develop a humble posture in us. So we need to develop the right priority. We need to develop a humble posture. Number three is this. We need to develop a God-honoring purpose. Proverbs 29 and verse 18 says, Where there's no revelation, people cast off restraint. Where there's no vision, where there's no hope, where there's no picture, where there's no purpose, people start living lazily. People cast off, eh, what does it matter if I have self-control? What does it matter if I live put together? What does it matter if I take care of the little things in my life? What does it matter if I treat people correctly? We're all going to die one day anyways. What does it matter? And we cast off restraint. We cast off care. We start living carelessly in our relationships, in our thought process, in our handling of our finances, because it doesn't matter why, because we are living without purpose. 
We need to develop a God-honoring purpose, not a selfish purpose, not selfishness, not trying to gain, gain, gain only for ourselves, but we needed to live a life that is a God-honoring purpose. Living with a God-honoring purpose for our life helps other people live with passion in their life. That's called influence. It's called leadership. Living with a God-honoring purpose in your own life Living with the chief perspective of I'm doing this for a purpose. I'm doing it for a reason. I'm doing it to honor God. I don't like to get up early and do this, but I'm going to get up early and do this. Why? Because it's going to honor God. I want to really say something right now to my spouse because they're giving me lip. And boy, do they need to be put in their place. And I got some good zingers to say right back, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I've got a bigger purpose than winning this argument. It's to love like Jesus. And I want a great marriage rather than I want to win an argument. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Why? Because I have a God-honoring purpose. I know my kid's throwing a fit. I know that they don't really want to do their bedtime list. I know that they keep giving me, it's annoying and it's, it's, it's inconvenient. And my kids are doing this and they're not taking care of their own responsibilities. I know, I know all of those things. And as a parent, they're piling in, piling in, piling in. But if you will keep a God-honoring purpose in your life, you know that all of these things, they're just phases. And I need to help continually live with a purpose and help them discover their purpose and help point them to Jesus And if I can help point them to Jesus in everything of their life, then they're going to live with the right priority. They're going to see me develop a humble heart and a humble posture. And they're going to see me live in a God-honoring, purpose-driven way. And they're going to live with passion in their life. Friends, you've been given influence. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it, sir? What are you doing to influence your family for the kingdom of God? Have you relegated that to your spouse because they're just more spiritual and you're just going to let her do that and you're just going to kind of give them money and they get to do the spiritual things and it's kind of like a win-win in your case? Sir, I think God's given you influence and you need to develop that influence. Teenager going to school week in, week out. College student, going to school week in, week out. You have influence. You may not influence everybody, but you can influence somebody. Is your life living a God-honoring purpose in a way that helps point people to a passionate pursuit of Jesus in their life? Are you living in redemptive potential? Or are you living with selfish purposes? What is it for you? Where, where are you in this moment? Ephesians 4, Paul writes and he says, hey, listen, I urge you, I compel you, I beg you, I persuade you. I do everything that I possibly can. I urge you to live a life worthy of a calling, a high calling in Christ Jesus. Be humble, be gentle, be patient, bear, be patient waiting with one another in love. Make every effort, he says, to keep unity in the spirit through the bond of peace. 
Do everything that you can to live with a God-honoring purpose. How you treat people, how you think about other people. Recognize that it's influencing and it's impacting others. But you have to develop that. It doesn't come naturally to us. It takes work. It takes intentionality. It takes us developing some things. What do we have to develop? You have to develop the right priority. Jesus Christ should be your priority. The center, the bullseye of your life. Everything should flow from your relationship with Jesus. He's the priority. You need to develop a humble posture that says, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve. I'm going to love. I'm going to serve. I'm going to let my character be developed. I'm going to have this humble posture that really allows God to build something in my life. And I'm going to develop a God-honoring purpose. I'm going to develop this God-honoring purpose that helps me realize that I can inspire other people with my life. Listen, people tend to become what the most important people in their lives think that they will become. Who's important to you in your life? Who would look at you and say, hey, you're important to me. What you think about them, how you live on purpose in front of them is what they tend to become in themselves. A God-honoring purpose has to focus more on people than it does progress. Has to focus more on people than it does progress. God has given you a measure of influence. It's in you. How are you using redemptive purposes How's your priority? How's your posture? How's the God-honoring purpose in your life growing? Friends, when we develop these things, we begin to influence the people around us and we point them to Jesus too. And they begin to discover and develop the influence that's in their life. And they begin to reach and point other people to this redemptive purpose and potential. They recognize that how they interact, what God's placed in them, it all really does matter and it all connects. We can develop and we can grow and God deeply desires that we grow. This week, I wanna encourage you to read the reading plan with us. It's called Developing the Leader Within You Reading Plan. You can go to the Central Hub, click on Sermon Notes, scroll down to the bottom, and you'll see a link that'll take you to the reading plan. I want to encourage you, read the plan. Let's develop the redemptive influence that's inside of us, pointing people to Jesus all along the way. Let's let's not short-circuit our own development and our own growth. Let's grow in those things. I want to challenge you to identify which of these three are you going to start working to develop over the next couple of weeks? Which of these three? Do you need to develop the right priority? Say yes to Jesus and allow Jesus to be your main priority. Maybe you need to develop a, a posture that is humble. Maybe you need to, 
to develop a God-honoring purpose for your life. You need to go back and look at what in my life has been selfish and what in my life has been God-honoring. Maybe that's, that's the one that you need to develop. I don't know. You need to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, where do I need to develop this week? Where do I need to develop? Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, I pray for your, your church today. Lord, that we would grow, we would develop that at the end of the day, our life, our life would be God-honoring. Our life would be worthy of the call. Our life would be worthy of the sacrifice, Jesus, that you made for us. You would help us to develop a God-honoring priority. Help us to grow our character and have a posture of humility. And God, help us to determine and focus on the right priority in our lives. Lord, you're the author of all life. And if our hearts and our lives are not yet surrendered to you, God, I pray that you would help us to surrender in that way to you. Jesus, we pray that you would reveal to us where we can grow, where we can develop, We don't want to get stuck. We don't want to stall out. We want to keep moving forward in you, Jesus. We thank you for it. May we pursue you this week, God. May we pursue you, point people to you, and see your purposes grow in our lives. We love you, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.